baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It's time to talk politics. It's Hardline on WBEN. Now, WBEN's David Bellavia. Welcome back to Hardline. And we are talking uh, with Dr. Mark Epstein. You've heard him on this program. You've read his work all over the Internet. You've seen him on Fox News. And now he joins us here. And we're talking to Democrats at 644-9875, Republicans at 803-0930. We appreciate if you... uh, you know, uh, work the honor code here. No point in playing little C-SPAN games. We've got very patient Democrats and Republicans on hold. Let's go to Drew in Buffalo. Drew, thank you for being on hold on this cold Buffalo day. You're on with Dr. Mark Epstein. Go ahead, sir. Uh, thanks so much for taking the call. Uh, before I, I talk about why I am where I am, you described Dr. Epstein as uh, middle of the road, uh, and he also said that he thinks progressives don't uh, want to, you know, destroy the Constitution and don't follow the Constitution. Uh, Are both of those things accurate? Can you really be halfway with people that don't believe in the Constitution? I mean, Dr. Epstein, go ahead. Right. I I, I was talking about the progressive thrust over the years, which was was really, I mean, and and it's articulated uh, positions that, believe that the, that the constitutional arrangements that we have now uh, need to be modified. And the modifications, some of them want, are really rather quite uh, radical, which means that we wind up with a more centralized government. Uh, you, you, the, the powers granted to the states are greatly diminished, and local government plays a, a much smaller role in uh, how the United States is administered. Uh, and, and these positions have, have been articulated over the decades and today being articulated by uh, people like Beto O'Rourke. Uh, you know, uh, people make their, take their positions. We have ways of modifying the Constitution. Uh, for example, there was an editorial, I believe, in the Friday Wall Street Journal about ballot harvesting in the state of California and how the... Uh, the Democrats really want the kind of election uh, 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 techniques used in California in the last election to become nationwide, and they're going to be pushing that sort of legislation. And then, then it becomes a constitutional issue because so, of election rules are left to states. Yeah. So, Drew, get get to uh, why you're. Uh, tell me how you get to why you're against the wall, Drew. Oh, uh, well, it, it's really quite simple. You know, I, I'm, I was raised a Christian, and uh, two things that really guide me in, in the decisions that I make, personal and political both, are uh, the golden rule, treat other people the way that you want to be treated. And uh, when you're blessed, you're blessed to be a blessing to other people. Uh, my grandparents uh, were fortunate that they were able to uh, – we, Eastern Europe, at a time when there were no rules against Eastern Europeans coming to the United States, uh, and that was a blessing to me and my family that I was able to uh, 
get uh, a new life and a new chance in the United States. And uh, when I put myself in the shoes of a, a Central American uh, fleeing uh, an unstable government, uh, I think, okay, well, how would I want to be treated? Uh, and uh, I'd, I'd want what I actually received uh, or my grandparents received, uh, a, a new start uh, in a new country. All right, Drew, I appreciate that. You know, I, I would also counter with the fact that Christ also said, pay Caesar what's due Caesar. And uh, when it came to, uh, you know, your ancestors, my ancestors, I think we're both on the same, you know, uh, background where our European ancestors came to the United States. They, they checked in at Ellis Island. So whether or not someone wants to better themselves, is are you fundamentally against, you know, enforcing the rule of law and just asking people to go through the system that so many hundreds of thousands of immigrants, millions of immigrants have done in the past? Yeah, and I think we should we should change the system. Um, you you said uh, that uh, Jesus said, "Pay Caesar what what Caesar's." So that's half the quote. Um, he said, "Pay Caesar's what Caesar's. Uh, pay God what God's." Um, and, you know, we belong to God, and ultimately we're responsible to God. When it comes to, you know, following the system, I think the system that we had when my grandparents came was, was a good one. Um, and that was, I'm, well, it wasn't perfect because it still excluded the Chinese, um, but it, it basically said anyone can come. If, if we want everyone to follow the rules, then we make the rules easy for everyone to follow. The, but the system still says let anyone come. We're just saying sign the guest book. Well, so it's it's not. We've we've put artificial limits on how many people will receive. Um, so uh, I would like to make all immigration legal immigration, and then we wouldn't have a problem of illegal immigration because every immigrant would be legal. And I would like people to stop coming over the border haphazardly. Right. Well, uh, I would like that too. Unfortunately, um, we don't have other processes for them to come in legally. Um, so, Would you agree that our economic system was different when we had 80% of our jobs, uh, you know, turn of the century in the 20th century? 80% of those jobs were in the primary industries, mining, agriculture. That has changed to less than 1%. The economy has changed, right? We definitely have a different economy, but we're still a very wealthy uh, country. And mm-hmm. uh, the native population, the people that are being the birth rate in the United States is declining social security is going into crisis because right. there aren't enough people paying in uh so we we actually do need to grow and expand our population for us to grow and expand our economy good point drew i'm going to let dr epstein uh, uh answer that uh, what do you think about the fact that the needs have changed of the nation uh in, in the last hundred years well first of all we we never said anyone could come to america that Let's just go back to the founding document. In, 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 the, in the Declaration of Independence, one of the complaints against King George, it's a list of indictments. If you read it, 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 it attacks King George because he prevented us from naturalizing people. So at the, at the very beginning of our country, we're arguing for independence because we want to be able to bring people in and naturalize them. But we did develop policies uh, regarding whether we want people coming here in good health. We did develop policies. They may not have been terribly nice uh, based on uh, what their, their point of origin was. And, and we have had policies over the years based on what their skills are. Now, 
if, if you look at the full history of American immigration, it's all over the map. Sometimes they're terribly discriminatory. Sometimes they, they certainly are not uh, uh, munificent. I mean, they're, they're not looking to be nice to people in trouble. They, uh, they, they certainly didn't open up their doors to Jews who were fleeing Europe during the Holocaust. So we can't look at American policy and say, well, this is the thing that we're going to pick. We have to sit down and craft a reasonable policy as to, A, how many people we can absorb, how many people we could uh, Americanize, how many people could make a contribution to our country. We can't say, come one, come all. It's not, you know, we have billions of people trying to get into the United States. They're not trying to flee to to China, and they're not trying to flee to Russia. They want to come here. So the government has to be discriminatory. It has to discriminate. And we have to come to a point where we, we agree on what that kind of policy should be. Dr. Mark Epstein, we're going to put him on hold. We're going to do one more segment with Dr. Mark Epstein, and we're going to take your calls. Republican line, Democrat line, uh, Democrat, 644-9875. There's a line open. Republican line, 803-0930. We're going to go to them first. When we come back, hard line on WVN. Dr. Mark Epstein joins us this final segment. He lived in Buffalo for 27 years as a Ph.D., has numerous master's degrees, and you can read his work in the New English Review. Apologize for screwing that up earlier. Dr. Mark Epstein, I want to go to the uh, Republican line. Ed in Derby, you're on with Dr. Mark Epstein. Go ahead, sir. We're going to ask you to be as uh, quick as you possibly can. Get all these calls in. Ed in Derby. Are you there? Yes, sir. Go ahead. I think it's a it's part of our border protection is our sovereignty. It seems It seems very odd to me that we've met people getting on an airplane more than the Democrats want us to vet people coming into our country. It's as simple as that. We, could, we, could, we have current laws that they don't want to enforce, and no one has the political will in Congress to pass the law. They leave it for the executive order, so they have no blame. That's it's a really good point. Ed and Derby, appreciate it. Excellent point. Mark Epstein, what do you think? Um. Well, we do to a point. I, I want you to know that there are all sorts of people that come in here on airplanes that, that already have their social welfare forms filled out. I, I mean, I really know this reliably. That the United States, with its um, very, very wide social welfare net, and, it, and, and really a kind of uh, uh, kindness that you don't see in many other countries, extends all sorts of benefits to people who are non-citizens across the board. And that, of course, makes the country even more attractive. Dr. Mark Epstein, let's go to a very patient John in Buffalo. He's on the Democratic line, which is 644-9875. I want to remind you, after 1130, we're going to talk about foreign policy, Afghanistan and Syria. 803-0930 if you're a Republican, 644-9875 if you are a Democrat. We're going to talk to Fox News military analyst Jim Hansen at 1130. Let's go to John in Buffalo. John, thank you for being so patient. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, I have a little problem with what the good professor said about the 14th Amendment, how it's controversial. Uh, Go I, ahead. For you, I have my Constitution right here. All persons born or naturalized in the United States, subject to the jurisdiction thereof. 
are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. There's no nothing controversial about that. All right, John, uh, let's uh, go to the uh, professor. Go ahead, Dr. Uh, Epstein, what do you think? Well, the, 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 uh, the issue of the birthright uh, citizenship is, um, it is, really, it, it is really controversial. And I could um, refer you to an article, uh, Birthright Citizenship, A Fundamental Understanding of the 14th Amendment, by uh, Hans A. von Spakovsky at the uh, Heritage Foundation, it's a, it's a it's a really quick and good read, and it does go into the actual uh, purpose of the amendment and and why it it has been extended uh, to include people that were not originally intended in it. And and this always happens when language uh, in 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 law and in uh, constitutional interpretation of the law uh, is is imprecise and winds up. Uh, uh, open to controversy. All right, John, you want to counter that? I could send you the link, and and then we'll, we'll put it up on uh, the Facebook wall. But uh, John, uh, what do you think about that? It seems pretty black and white. I don't know where you're getting any controversy. Or hard to understand. That. Well, I'm, it's controversy in the sense that people are arguing it. States. I don't. I don't see where there's any nuance to it at all. You, I understand that, but the controversy isn't about what you think is nuanced. It's the fact that people argue it, so that makes it controversial. There, there was a famous slaughterhouse case of 1872, and it stated the qualifying phrase was intended to exclude, quote, children of ministers, consuls, and citizens of subjects of foreign states born within the United States, close quote. And this is confirmed in another decision. So I don't, I don't, I don't think we should get into the weeds here. Okay. I'm just saying it's an arguable position, right. and I'll be happy to... John, I appreciate your call. Dr. Epstein, you make your point. Let's go to Bob on the Republican line, 803-0930 for Republicans, Democrats, 644-9875. After this half hour, we're going to say goodbye to Dr. Mark Epstein and go to Jim Hansen from Fox News and talk about Afghanistan and Syria. But first, let's go to Bob in Buffalo. Bob, you're on the Republican line. Go ahead. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, although I'm not much of a Republican anymore, I'm still uh, on the right side of things. Uh, to my Christian friend who had mentioned render unto God, uh, Matthew 22, uh, 21, what does it say, uh, 22, 1 through 14, about God sending out his armies and burning down their murderous uh, uh, cities? Uh, my question to you, doctor, is I'm looking at the Constitution right now, and the very first sentence of the Constitution, which has seven commas in them, established justice, uh, uh, domestic tranquility, common defense, uh, uh, promote the greater welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our prosperity. And yet that's not what I see what's going on. I see that uh, we have uh, uh, government officials that are talking about allowing non-citizens to vote in local elections so that they can uh, promote uh, uh, further uh, agendas. Uh, in this state, uh, we have the largest population loss uh, and our tax base, uh, for every five that die, only four are being born. That's not promoting the general welfare. And why is it that we seem to be able to work between the Tenth Amendment uh, with the states uh, and then the federal government uh, does what it does? And I'll just take uh, two, two quick points. Uh, you can take a look at the legalization of marijuana in the state, and the federal government comes in with the uh, ATF and removes your firearm, which is the Second Amendment of right. And right, right. Thing with the public schools creation versus evolution okay yeah. all right i don't want to i don't want to get i hear what you're saying bob i just want to stay focused on this one singular issue but bob i appreciate your point what do you make of that uh, dr mark epstein 
well, it's clear that we're, we're living in an age that's highly polarized. We, the country is split as to what they think the government should be doing. Uh, clearly, the preamble of the Constitution, which he was quoting from, to provide for the common defense, that's the fundamental job of the President of the United States. All right, let's go, let's go to the Democratic line and David in what, uh, Perrysburg. Go ahead, sir. Yes, thank you. Um, I want to say that there are, other two, there are more than two parties, unfortunately. They don't get the, the thing, like the Green Party has a lot of good answers to these things. But let me just talk about the Electoral College of MH. That When I was in uh, 10th grade, I heard about it oh, 50 years ago, and I thought that was the dumbest thing I ever heard. And in my lifetime, twice, a person who won the, the popular vote lost uh, the election. Now, a simple calculation of the weight of the vote for people, and I'll give you an example, Wyoming versus California. These are the extremes. A person in Wyoming's vote counts almost four times the weight of a California voter. Now, how we can defend the Electoral College in this day and age is beyond me. You, you can make the same argument about the Senate, then. Well, very good. And we, in, in a parliamentary system, would be is a far superior form of government. We've got a wonderful government. I love the Constitution. I honor it. And we, but we don't follow it. For example, we, President Obama, I didn't vote for him, but whatever you think of him, he had the... The, the proper thing to appoint a Supreme Court judge and political machinations of, I guess it was the speaker, uh, the top fan said, stopped it and said right to his face, you are not going to get this appointment. That was dastardly. It was. It was one of the darkest days. And I, even though I'm 100% against uh, Obama and his policies, the Republicans were dead wrong, constitutionally wrong, morally and ethically wrong. Thank you, David. You, you're, you're terrific. I must say, when you're on with Mr. Bowerly, uh, you come across as a partisan, an extreme partisan, whereas in this show you're you're really showing, I think, your true colors. You're, you're well, you know, it, it, it's just the topics that come up. I'm sure I'm partisan on some issues, but I'm not going to lie to you, and, and the Republicans were wrong there. Uh, thank you, David, for your call. Dr. Epstein, if you want to wrap this up, uh, what are your final thoughts? Well, uh, you know, again, we come back to the, the, uh, the uh, founding, the framing of the Constitution, which... Um, Granted, it's a dual sovereignty, sovereignty to states and sovereignty to the central government, to the federal government. And it was a remarkable mechanism. There are always forces that saying it's outdated. Uh, we've had presidential elections where the popular vote going in the 19th century uh, did not settle who the president of the United States was. And it was the framers of the Constitution who simply did not want... Uh, they wanted a republic. They didn't want a country based on popular vote, which a parliamentary system would tend to be. You want to get rid of this system, you've got to go through the constitutional process of changing, the, changing how we have been put together. Excellent, excellent point. What a great job. Uh, you know, I, you know, I love Dr. Epstein, but really, just the, the, the text board, emails, everything else. Excellent job today. Thank you so much, Dr. Mark Epstein, for your work. And you can read him on the New English Review and also hear him on Bowerly and Bellavia. We're going to take a break. We come back. Jim Hansen from Fox News. It's hardline, same numbers, Republican, Democrat, 8030-644-9875. We're going to talk foreign policy when we come back on Hardline. Well... 
we are going to uh, jump into some uh, foreign policy stuff right now. And uh, you know what? I don't think uh, I'll grab the number. But anyway, um, we, we're going to jump into uh, Syria and Afghanistan. And uh, we're going to speak shortly with a Fox News contributor who is uh, a subject matter expert. Uh, he is the uh, author of the book, Cut Down the Black Flag which is a plan to defeat the Islamic State. Uh, he is also uh, a Fox News contributor. He's been on CNN. He's a Green Beret that has been in over 12 countries conducting counterterrorism. And he is uh, going to call in here shortly. Jim Hansen, he's the uh, founder and the uh, head of a group called the Security Studies Group, SSG, Jim Hansen has been on CNN, MSNBC, ABC, BBC, and uh, a Green Beret that I mentioned, and a Fox News military analyst. Here he is, Mr. Jim Hansen. How are you today, sir? Doing outstanding. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm great. If you'd like to call in and talk about Syria or Afghanistan, if you're a Republican, you can call in at 803-0930. If you are a Democrat, you can call in at 644-9875. First and foremost, Mr. Hansen, what is... Uh, the current uh, policy, in your uh, opinion, as to what is going on with a war that has now gone on for 17 years in Afghanistan, I'm going to ask you as a Green Beret, not as a expert uh, from the Security Studies Group, not as a, a talking head pundit who's a military analyst who's on every network on television, but just as a warrior, as someone from the warrior class, is the war in Afghanistan winnable? No. And that's a, a, it hurts me to say that, but by any standard, I would consider a win right now. Um, we're not going to get one by continuing to do the things we've been doing for that 17-year period. So we need to figure out what we can do. What is the best outcome that is actually possible? And in this case, that's going to be some kind of negotiated peace with the Taliban. That's going to be buying some flavor of loyalty from whatever tribes we can. And that's going to be getting the bulk of our combat forces out of that country and leaving them with a very stern warning that says, if you guys start supporting terrorism again, the next time we come back, it won't be boots on the ground. It will be bombs from the air. You know, uh, Jim, when you were uh, wearing a Green Beret and in, you know, dozens of countries, you were doing intelligence work. You were doing humanitarian operations, but you were also doing counterterrorism and counterinsurgency before it was cool. And one of the things that happens, we saw this not only with Hamas, uh, we, we've seen it with Hezbollah, we've seen it with the FARC rebels and now the Taliban. You're a terrorist organization and then you become a political party. Is that just the, the way the 20th and the 21st century goes where you do your fighting and then you decide, well, you know, I want to be considered to be a, a, you know, a state now and I want to talk about these things in parliamentary government that's difficult for people who've lost loved ones and who've bled on foreign soil. You know, and, and it's unfortunate because it plays right into that ridiculous notion that one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. Well, no, it's pretty simple. Anyone who purposely kills innocents for a cause, any cause, is a terrorist. Now, if you do that or support people who do that, I don't care what kind of humanitarian work you do. I don't care what kind of political things you do to try and make yourself legitimate on another front. If you support or came through to power by supporting terrorism, the killing of innocents, 
then you are a terrorist and you are the enemy of the free world. And I don't care how they try and gloss that. That's the fact. So so how do we, you know, we go back to the Nixon uh, years, and by the way, I'm talking with Jim Hansen. His group is called the Security Studies uh, Group. They're at securitystudies.org. He's a Green Beret who has served in every armpit in the entire world. Uh, everywhere you could imagine, Jim Hansen has probably been, but he's also on, on national television, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, uh, and he works in Washington. And this is a, a guy who loves this country, but he's not afraid. He, he's not a partisan where he just you know, toes the, the company line. He's going to tell you the way it is because he's done it, and now he's arguing and fighting these fights in the uh, smoky rooms in D.C., Jim, when you look at Afghanistan and we go back to Richard Nixon, is there such thing as a withdrawal with honor? <laughs> you know, branding the the wars we have and the conflicts we have and the rest of it is a constant battle. Um, and, and I understand the need to try and, and justify the, the pain and the loss that we as a country have suffered, but more specifically, that Americans have, American families, American fighting people, you know, have all suffered. We don't want to walk away without saying that we accomplished something. And we did. Okay. We took down Al Qaeda's safe haven. We took down the Taliban as the sitting government. And we tried to make that place better. We didn't make it better enough to declare a, a victory and walk away. But we did make it a place where they can't just sit and plot destruction for the rest of the world. And that's going to have to be good enough because no one right now has a legitimate plan to do more than that. So I don't, I don't care what you call it. You can call it a withdrawal. Um, you can call it a, a tactical you know, stalemate. You could call it a tie. You could call it a conditional victory. I don't care what you call it. What we need to do is move on to the next phase, and that does not involve – U.S. troops in Afghanistan as a fighting force forever. Now, if we uh, switch gears to Syria and we look at just the the cluster that is in Syria, you've got the Assad regime, bloody regime, Baathist, Sunni that works with Shias and Hezbollah and Iranian Revolutionary Guard. And then you've got our good friends, NATO ally Turkey, who basically allows uh, their border to become a sieve and ISIS fighters to go in and out. Uh, President Trump caught a lot of, you know, conservatives were up in arms, but, you know, these are the uh, Bill Crystal conservatives that, that have all gone crazy over the fact that he's withdrawing 2,000 troops. But he, he's maintaining the foothold in Iraq, which you could make the argument would be a quick reaction force to anything that blows up in Syria. Do you agree with where the president uh, is on this? Uh, what is the future of American, you know, power in Syria? You know, I, I'm not sure I 100% agree with it, but I'm okay with it. And, and it comes from a long and considered process. The people who got all angry, and when Mattis quit, I, I can understand his advice um, wasn't taken on this topic. But the idea that somehow Trump did this without consideration, without deliberation, without planning is false. We were actually involved with helping them last Easter, which is almost a year ago, in planning for this potential withdrawal, when President Trump asked his national security leaders, what is the end game in Syria? Are we staying there forever like Afghanistan? And they said, no, but we're staying to stop Iran from getting a land bridge to the Mediterranean. He said, great. How do we do that? And what is, you know, what time frame do you need to, to do that? And they said, we don't know. And he said, then you need to give me a way to remove U.S. forces 
that don't have a mission that is clearly defined. And now they're doing that. They're trying to get Turkey to help. And it's, it's a complicated situation. But again, it's not someplace where we can say we'll stay here forever because we don't like the possibility that something worse could happen. Wow, my friends are smarter than your friends. Jim Hansen, we're going to go one more segment with Jim. We're going to take a quick break. If you're a Republican, you can call at 803-0930. If you are a Democrat, you can call 644-9875. We're talking to Green Beret Jim Hansen with the securitystudies.org, uh, security studies group. And again, counseling presidents, counseling joint chiefs of staff, not too shabby. Back with Jim Hansen and your calls right after this quick break. It's Hardline. We've got Jim Hansen from the Security Studies Group. He's a military analyst on every major cable news network and a former Green Beret. But are you ever a former anything in the United States military? Jim Hansen, thank you for taking time on this Sunday to join us in Buffalo. And, you know, you were talking about Syria and all the different complexities that are in the Middle East. You know, if we look at all of the, you know, the, the, the reasons for going to Iraq, the, the, the war of choice, Afghanistan, there's one domino left. And that domino got $150 billion in a pallet of C-130 cash. And there's no secret they're state-sponsored terror. There's no secret that they are sharing technology with North Korea and missile defense, or I should say in a ballistic missile offense. When when are we finally going? I mean, we heard that there was a, a leak that that the uh, Pentagon was looking at battle maps and plans for, you know, Iran. I don't think that's a big shock. I think that, you know, we probably have a, a plan to invade Guatemala because that's what the Pentagon is supposed to do. But what is the end state with Iran? Well, one thing President Trump did, love him or hate him was to change the delusional idea that Obama followed for eight years that the mullahs of Iran were a partner for peace. They could not be less of that. They are an apocalyptic religious cult bent on controlling not just that region, but the world, and they believe that bringing about Armageddon will do that. I don't know where there's negotiating room with people who actually literally believe that. So he tried. He failed, like you said. He sent them pallets and pallets of cash. And President Trump looked around and said, these are the bad guys. And he's been building a coalition that includes the rational actors in the region, the Saudis, the Emiratis, um, the Israelis, and other folks, who look at Iran as the true danger in the region and has been trying to use all of the levers of U.S. power, which up to this far have not had to include military um, you know, action, kinetic action of any kind, but could, and like you said, need to be considered. But right now the plan is to break the mullahs on the rack of economic power. And if we can crush them economically and support the Iranian people in, you know, their striving for a better government, then we may not have to actually fight them, and that would be the best-case scenario. Jim Hansen is the author of the book Cut Down the Black Flag, a plan to defeat the Islamic State, which, if you read that book, is exactly the plan that was used to defeat the Islamic State. So uh, way to go, Nostradamus. Uh, well done. Uh, let's go to the Republican line. And, John, in Rochester, uh, you are on with Jim Hansen from the uh, Security Studies Group. Go ahead. Jim, Jim uh, Nancy Pelosi was going to take a commercial flight to Afghanistan. Isn't that kind of crazy? How would... 
wouldn't it be very risky as far as security goes to take a commercial flight with somebody who's really uh, second in line to uh, just in case Trump got assassinated or or uh, the vice president did? She'd be third in line to run the government to take a commercial flight. That would have been nuts. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, no, fortunately she didn't. I think uh, that was a, a little bit of gamesmanship and brinksmanship between President Trump and her. She decided to play the no-you-can't-hold-your-state-of-the-union in my House of Representatives, and he said, well, if you're going to shut down the government by refusing to fund our border and keep the country secure, you're not going to borrow an Air Force airplane, take you and your friends over, and do a photo op with the troops. Sorry, that's not your job when you haven't managed to actually fund the government and operate it. You stay in Washington, you do your work, and then after that, you can go ahead and decide, you know, to do your oversight and and see what's going on. And they had an option to go ahead and fly commercial. And as you said, that is more dangerous. Um, I think it could have been pulled off, but I think it pointed out that they were more interested in the public relations of trying to make President Trump look bad than anything else, because if they really wanted to go, they could have. Um, They decided to back down, and now... I think the president's made them a good offer on border security, and the government should be funded uh, when the Democrats stop obstructing that. And, and hopefully, you know, we can get back to business as usual, which I'm not a huge fan of, but I'll take it over business as nothing. And this coming from the man who's booked numerous commercial flights into Baghdad during the war. So, Jim, <laughs> he, uh, he knows of what he speaks. Things in and out of there. Yeah, right. It's not, it's not dangerous. Ten years later, we'll talk about it. Jim Hansen, uh, go ahead, John. You got something else? Yeah, I got another question. Regarding uh, Syria, in Erdogan and Turkey, uh, Turkey's part of NATO. And I, I tell you, do you trust Erdogan? He's, he's a radical... In my eyes, he's kind of a radical Islamist. What, what are your thoughts there? I, I think he's a bad, bad seed. Thank you, John. I agree with you. No, I think that is a, a correct analysis of him. He's taken his country from a secular democracy towards an Islamist theocracy. He's got goals of being the next sultan or caliph of the region. He thinks that's his, uh, his right. And he has he's done things that are very unally like as the leader of NATO ally Turkey. So right now, um, the situation was President Trump has to decide, are they so far gone that we have to break ties with them and you you can't actually kick somebody out of NATO, there's no mechanism for it, or do we have to try to bring them back in? And part of the reason for the withdrawal from Turkey was a deal the president made with Erdogan over the phone to go ahead and say, we'll sell you some missiles, we want you to stop messing with the Russians, We want you to not kill our Kurdish allies there on your border, and we want you to help a little bit with security in northern Syria. Erdogan agreed with him about that on the telephone, and then later started talking smack in public and and showing off for his Russian and Iranian allies that he's not a puppet of the U.S. So he's, he's on the hook to either be helpful and be an actual ally or suffer the consequences, as President Trump said, if he messes with our Kurdish allies, we'll break him economically, and we can do that. So it was a, it was a necessary step to find out whether Turkey's a friend or not, and uh, we're, we're going to find out in the short term. 
Hey, that's uh, Jim Hansen, and we got to get him on for a longer period of time because uh, people are going nuts here. Uh, if you go to securitystudies.org, there's a ton of, uh, of white paper research and information, and, and these guys are the foremost, I think, experts on the situation in Turkey, especially. You know, these are NATO allies, and it's a dangerous thing when you're talking about NATO allies being, you know, potential enemies. Uh, but again, it's a complicated world. Jim, if I waved, waved a magic wand and I went back to September 11th, what would have been the, was there any way to avoid a ground invasion in Afghanistan? Uh, if we took just the first war that, that seems to be the one that everyone's talking about, were we forced to go in and destabilize the Taliban or was the mistake made in trying to rebuild a nation that for generations no one's been able to do? I will go 100% with the second. Um, I, I think you start with Alexander the Great and follow everybody who's gone to Afghanistan has limped out. And, but that doesn't mean going in is a bad idea. It means staying is a bad idea. When al-Qaeda struck from their, the base, which is what al-Qaeda means, in Afghanistan, we had to do something about that. And uh, if, if anyone has not seen the movie 12 Strong, about the horse soldiers of the special forces who worked with the Northern Alliance to topple the Taliban right after 9-11. Watch that movie. It's brilliant. It is. Exactly what we're supposed to do to use asymmetric power to topple the bad guy. The problem was when we decided we would stay and try to turn Afghanistan into some sort of Jeffersonian democracy, we ran into thousands of years of tribal hatred, and there was no way it was going to happen. So when President Bush hung that famous Mission Accomplished banner on the aircraft carrier, welcoming them back from supporting that effort, we should have packed up then, 16 yeah. years ago, and left leafless. The last thing I would have done is flown one bombing raid and covered the entire country with leaflets saying, don't do it again, you don't <laughs> like it. When we, it will be a rain of hellfire from the sun. That is Jim Hansen. He's a big brain, and he'll break both of your arms. He's a Green Beret. His uh, group is Security Studies Group. Jim, thank you so much for your time. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.